The same pathetic charade happens every year. And everyone makes the same pathetic promises just so they can put it on their transcripts to get into college. So vote for me, because I don't even want to go to college. And I don't care. And as president, I won't do anything. The only promise I will make is that, if elected, I will immediately dismantle the student government so that none of us will ever have to sit through one of these stupid assemblies again. A high school teacher tries to prevent an overachieving student from becoming class president. Special guest Courtney Noah joins us as we chat about DVDs that friends borrow and don't return, what the headlines will be when Matthew Broderick dies, and James's winning campaign slogan. Then we find out if 1999's election stands the test of time. James and Allen have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with the glut Allen says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Allen have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Allen have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Test of Time and our special Election Day episode, I guess. My name is Alan Noah, and your name there is James Brief. That's correct. And we also have a special guest, someone who's a friend of the show, friend of yours as well. I might even call her my best friend. Aww. Aww. It's Courtney Noah back on the show for her seventh time. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I am excited to have you. You're an easy guest to book. Right. Convenient. Yeah, that is true. We are going to be talking about election today because, you know, the elections are coming up, the midterm elections, a very important midterm elections. I feel like every election cycle for the the past decade or so has been like the most important election of our lifetime, which is Maybe true, you know, like every time the stakes get higher and higher. Doesn't that mean that a country is on the brink of collapse? If if basically the entire premise of an election is if a certain party wins, the country is doomed. Because that never happened when we were kids. Like, you know, when Dole uh, lost to Clinton, people, I think, went to work the next day. Right? Like, no one cared. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder about that. Like... If the stakes have changed or if it's just that we as kids didn't really notice slash care. Or everyone's a lot more dramatic. That could be. And definitely social media hasn't helped the situation. Not just social media, but the internet. Yeah. This movie Election came out in 1999. And yeah, I think that pretty much everything went to hell with the 2000 election. The internet, and it wasn't just like you were watching like a couple, you know, newscasters uh, saying their opinion. Everyone suddenly can email and forward emails. And that's what everything uh, kind of divided everyone. Right. And that election was so contested. I remember the 2000 election going to bed on election night and it wasn't clear who won. And then like I woke up in the morning and I hit refresh on my internet browser and it was still not decided. And that was like crazy at the time. And, you know, in light of the 2020 election, when the results didn't come in or were trickling in for several days, 
it's not the worst thing in the world. A lot of countries have that. Like, you know, if uh, if there's ranked choice voting, you can wake up the day after the election and not know who won the election. And it's fine. I mean, as long as you know the tally will be made. Uh, you know, right. th- this movie had, a, uh, as one person called it, a squeaker of an election result, which we'll talk about. Right, right. I, I mean, this movie, uh, it's the second time I've ever seen it. I saw it once. And uh, Courtney, did you pick this film? This is a movie I wanted to do for a while. I think probably because it came out when I was in college. I'm pretty sure I was trying to remember I had it on VHS. So it was one of those movies that you put on when you're bored and and you watch. So I think I've seen it probably at least four times, if not more than that at this point. Okay. I know that I've only seen it once before we watched it last night. I don't remember. Did you did you show it to me? I think so. I feel like uh, there's a few of those movies that that you watched for the first time because I I had the VHS. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah, and it definitely seemed appropriate to talk about now with the election coming up. Also, you and I just started watching the morning show, the Apple TV show with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon, and so you know just. Thinking of Reese Witherspoon, I don't know that that really impacted the choice to do the movie, but like, hey, more Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, remembering her in her early days and how she started out. I don't know, this probably wasn't her first movie, but was it one of her early ones? It's pretty low on her IMDb page. It's not her first movie. She was in Fear before this, which I just mentioned in our Boogie Nights episode. And then right after that episode came out, my sister texted me that she wants to come on to do an episode about fear. I think that was like 96 or something when Reese Witherspoon was like a teenage girl and her boyfriend was Mark Wahlberg. I actually remember her from a film when we were kids, uh, a film called A Far Off Place. Do you remember that? I think it might have been a Disney film. Uh, it's something no. like it, was, it, it took place in the safari. or I don't remember much about it. But the first film that I really remember her in was probably uh, Pleasantville. Yeah. And a Cruel Intentions, a movie we'll have to do on the podcast at some point. At some point. I mean, she really took off uh, in 2001 with Legally Blonde, and that, of course, skyrocketed her career, and then eventually, you know, Academy Awards, and did she win an Academy Award? I know she was nominated for that movie Wild. She won for Walk the Line. Yeah. And she was nominated for Wild. Right, right. Yeah, this film, I remember this film being kind of one of those indie films that you hear about, sort of in the in the same vein as Boogie Nights, the, the film that we reviewed recently. You know, we were in college when this film came out. I didn't say in the theater. Did it, either of you? I didn't. I may have seen it in one of those small, independent movie theaters. I think I did. You're such a hipster, Courtney. I know. I used <laughs> to see a lot of uh, offbeat movies that way. Cool. Well, if you haven't seen this film, or it's been several years, like it's been for Al and I, this movie is about a student council election at George Washington Carver High School in Omaha, Nebraska. Jim McAllister, played by Matthew Broderick, he's a popular social studies teacher with a seemingly happy marriage. His tranquil life is changed and upended when an overachieving student, Tracy Flick, played by Reese Witherspoon, decides to run for school president. Jim resents Tracy because she had an affair with his friend Dave. And while Dave was fired, nothing bad happened to Tracy. So Jim convinces Paul, a dim-witted football player, to run against Tracy in the election. Then there's Paul's sister, Tammy. Tammy's girlfriend breaks up with her, then starts dating Paul. For revenge, Tam also runs for student body president herself. 
Meanwhile, Jim starts lusting after Dave's ex-wife, Linda. Ultimately, Jim's wife leaves him, Tammy is expelled, and Tracy wins the election against Paul by just one vote. Jim throws away two votes for Tracy and declares Paul the winner, but Tracy Flick will not be denied her destiny. Ooh. So, when this movie came out in 99, how did it do at the box office? Uh, I mean, this film didn't do that great. Matthew Broderick, uh, you know, he's a known star, but... uh, Reese Witherspoon was not someone that would draw you into a film. It's an MTV film. And uh, we reviewed an MTV film, right? We've reviewed several MTV films. Beavis and Butthead Do America, Varsity Blues, 200 Cigarettes, and that might be it? Yeah, this is uh, the fourth one. This had a lot of uh, acclaim when it came out. But it did not have a lot of financial acclaim. You know, I saw that this had a $25 million budget. I find that shocking. Like, this just doesn't seem like a $25 million film. The film came out on April 23rd, 1999. It really opened wide on May 7th, 1999. It opened at number five with $3.1 million. The number one film. We're definitely going to... Oh, wait. I I think we actually... No, we did this film. The Mummy. Uh, Yeah, we did that one. We did The Mummy. Uh, The Mummy. This was a juggernaut uh, this top 10 i mean we're gonna do so many of these we've done a couple of them entrapment uh, i remember that film with uh sean connery and uh catherine zeta jones yeah i've i heard of it i don't think i saw it then number three was the matrix we've already reviewed that number mm-hmm. four was a film i saw once i really wonder uh, how well it holds up it's a film called life with uh eddie murphy and uh martin lawrence and number five was Election. Number six, mm-hmm. uh, this was a fun film I saw once. I remember liking it. It's a Drew Barrymore film called Never Been Kissed. You ever see that one? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure any woman my age has seen that. That was a big uh, rom-com. rom-com, yeah. Oh, wait okay. till you get to uh, number eight and ten for those. But number seven, we're definitely going to review this film. Uh, no, actually, though we did review this film. I analyzed this. We did that one. Right? No, we didn't. Oh, no, we did. We haven't. I'm sorry. I actually, I watched it like a, a year or two ago. I guess I'm just confusing that. Um, that was number seven. That was a huge hit. Actually crossed 100 million that weekend. Number eight. Now, this is a film that uh, a lot of people had their first crushes on a lot of actors and actresses. It was a, a modern remake of William Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew. So you know which film that was? Ten Things I Hate About You? That's correct, yes. So, uh, number nine, I don't know what it is, Cookie's Fortune. Um, Never heard of that. And number ten, uh, Shakespeare in Love. And another film we'll review at number 12. I don't know if you've ever seen, did you ever see Life is Beautiful? Yes. Uh, did I? I don't know. That the Roberto familiar. Benigni uh, somehow yeah. pulled it off and did a comedy about the Holocaust. Yeah, he's Italian, kind of like this dreamlike state a little bit. I have not seen it. I've heard about You've it. You've never seen that? Nope. Alan Noah. I'm a bad Jew because uh, yeah, I didn't I see a Holocaust movie. I was going to let you say it. <laughs> I, I can say it. You can't say it. <laughs> uh, election ultimately made $14 million. So if that budget is to be uh, believed, then it wasn't really successful. However, it's interesting, Courtney, you said you owned it on VHS. Yep. Because I do remember this being one of those films, like with Garden State and uh, The Matrix. This was a film that I saw a lot of people owning on DVD. I think like when DVDs came out, people were consciously trying to buy and build their uh, video collection. I think this is a film I saw on a lot of people's shelves. Yeah, I think it was a movie that was likable by 
a lot of different people. You could throw it on and wasn't going to alienate any one demographic <laughs> of viewers, right? Right. And I mean, I think the fact that it was an MTV film maybe it gave it like cool. a little... Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like it was kind of cool. Like if you had it, like it was, hey, have you seen it? If you've seen it, you're like in the club kind of a thing. Yeah. Now we mentioned that this is the first film many people might have seen Reese Witherspoon in, but this was also the first film that uh, Chris Klein was in, and I totally forgot he was in this film. I thought this guy was fantastic in this film. I, I haven't really seen him in anything in a while, but he was really good. He might have honestly been my favorite character in this film. Uh, I was shocked at how good he was. He was such a nice older brother you just like felt so bad for him and the way that he was just like the one truly decent human being in the whole movie <laughs> yeah like he is dumb like really really dumb but also kind like he is the one person in this movie that is just truly kind and selfless and you can't root against him you know like is he dumb I was listening to his speech, and while he did a bad job delivering it, if you had taken those same words and presented them, spoke them with more confidence, I don't know. I don't think his speech was actually that bad, which made me think, I don't know that he's dumb. He just, you know, there's certain things he's lacking. <laughs> right. I didn't think he, his speech was bad. I thought his delivery was horrible because he right. has absolutely no uh, stage presence. I thought his speech was the perfect generic uh, high school speech. Exactly. And I thought uh, Tracy Flick's speech, she was mimicking that whole thing where presidents are always like, I was at a diner in a small town in Nebraska and Susie Davis, a waitress at the McComick Diner, like that's what she doing and she actually did yeah. that a 10th grader betsy thomas right right and then you have matthew broderick who is just a brilliant casting in this movie because yes he's been in other movies we saw him in glory and biloxi blues but forever and ever he will be ferris bueller like that is an iconic movie it was an iconic role when matthew broderick dies that will be in every headline you know matthew broderick star of ferris bueller dies at you know age 90 or whatever but in this movie he is playing the anti ferris bueller he's a teacher who loves school he runs on the track and then he showers there like that is a guy who wants to be at school his life is really school right? exactly exactly everything revolves around school and being at school and i don't know that i really appreciated that the first time i watched this movie but like watching it again it really kind of hit me even in that that beginning part of the movie when he's showering in the school i was thinking of ferris bueller when he's like in the shower and he's like talking to camera about how he's not going to go to school it's like this is a very very different guy I, I just really liked seeing him in a complete 180 from the role that he is most famous for. But there's that that connection there that you see, oh, it's Matthew Broderick. He's in school. And I feel like you, you can't help but like pull through some of that Ferris Bueller. When he's questioning like his students about what's the difference between morals and ethics and he's like anyone you know he doesn't want to pick tracy because he doesn't like her and she's raising her hand ooh, ooh pick me and he's like anyone anyone like he's basically doing ben stein from ferris bueller and you know him going after 
a certain student that's his rival, that's basically him doing Principal Rooney from Ferris Bueller, you know, in like a different inverted kind of way, but similar. You know what else? Uh, if you look at his filmography uh, in the 90s, he actually had two mega flops in a row. Uh, can you name them? Well, there was Godzilla. Yes, that was in 1998. In 1996, The Cable Guy. Oh, right. Yeah, he was really good in The Cable Guy. I like him. He's the, the cable friend guy. that yeah, like yeah. Uh, that Jim Carrey's Cable Guy starts obsessing with. And right. he was the voice of Simba in The Lion King, but I, I, I actually didn't know that. I knew Jonathan Taylor Thomas was a young Simba. I didn't know that either. I saw that come up when I was doing some research. I was like, huh. How did I not know that? But, you know, before then, he had done Glory in 89. There's this movie with Marlon Brando called The Freshman in 1990, but they might be good films, but I don't think they were very successful. Out on a Limb, The Night We Never Met, The Road to Wellville, Addicted to Love. This was the first film that I think probably brought him a lot of acclaim in a while. Also, Jessica Campbell, who plays Tammy... I thought she was amazing. James, did you recognize her from another role? No, I didn't. What, what's she from? She was also on Freaks and Geeks. She played Ken's girlfriend for a couple of episodes. Like she was in band and then she oh. admitted that she was born intersex with a penis and a vagina. And uh, then Seth Rogen's an asshole about it. But she left acting and then she died in 2020 at like age 38 or something, it seemed like maybe it was COVID. It was not confirmed, but she had like cold-like symptoms and it was 2020 and seems like it could have been COVID, but no one really knows for sure. But uh, very sad. I mean, I only know her from this movie and Freaks and Geeks, but she's really good in this movie. Yeah, I like her character and like, it's not just good and bad. There's like that third option in there kind of <laughs> like the popular the nerd and then the i don't know anti-establishment yes there you go <laughs> yeah i mean she Nihilist, represents maybe yeah like she represents like the candidate who's against the entire system and i read somewhere that you know it was kind of inspired by ross perot in the 1992 presidential election you know like this other person coming in and just being like the regular system is broken here's me too, kind of a thing. Hmm. And the movie was written and directed by Alexander Payne. We are going to do more of his movies on the podcast, specifically Sideways, which maybe, Courtney, you'll come back on to talk about that movie if you want. I do love that movie, yes. Although somehow we've lost our our DVD of that. So we'll have to figure out how to watch it. That's right. We lent it to somebody yes. and never got it back, I think. Yeah, you know, I lent somebody my Dogma DVD, and Dogma does not exist on DVD, and it's worth, like, hundreds of dollars on eBay. Really? Oops. Yeah, I had no idea who took it. Or maybe someone took it at a party or something. But I had it. I bought it originally because I love that movie. But um, yeah, Alexander Payne, he's had a lot of, like, critically acclaimed but not really financially successful in the, in the box office uh, films like Citizen Ruth. Uh, that's a Laura Dern film about Schmidt. That's a Jack Nicholson film. There was a film called Nebraska. Yeah, yeah, because he's from Nebraska and election takes place in Nebraska. Uh, we saw Nebraska. It's like the black and white movie with the dad from Big Love, Bruce Stern, I think. And that's Laura Dern's father. So that's interesting that he's in that. Um, and then he had a, a not-so-successful film uh, a few years ago with uh, 
Matt Damon called Downsizing. I really wanted to see that. One, because I liked Alexander Payne, and also that concept just sounded interesting, that like people shrink themselves. We watched that. No, we didn't. Yes, I, we did. I didn't watch it. You watched With it without Matt me? With Matt Damon, where he shrinks himself because he doesn't have money? Yes. I didn't see that. You watched that without me. I'm a little offended. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we watched it together. Unless I watched it on a plane. But I can't see myself watching that movie on a plane. No, I, I really wanted to see that. I'm, now I'm kind of mad. Really? Yeah. Uh, huh. All right. I forgive you. Um, this movie is also based on a novel by Tom Parada. And he wrote a couple of books that were adapted into HBO shows, Mrs. Fletcher, which I really loved. It starred Katherine Hahn, and The Leftovers, which was just, I thought, an amazing television show. But Election and The Leftovers and Mrs. Fletcher are all very, very, very different, at least in terms of their screen adaptations. I haven't read the novels, but... Just knowing the movie and TV shows, it kind of makes me think that he must be an amazing writer to tackle these subjects that are so radically, radically different. I did read that the book is quite different from the film in a lot of ways, especially the ending. Yeah, but even still, I mean, just like this is a story about a high school election. Mrs. Fletcher is about a 40, 50-year-old woman's like sexual awakening. The Leftovers is about 2% of the world's population disappearing. They are very, very different types of stories. You know, it's not like they're all sci-fi or they're all mysteries or all romance, you know, like they're just different genres. That's interesting. Uh, I did read this tidbit that uh, apparently Alexander Payne, he did not want to direct the film because he thought it was a teen comedy. And the producers, they convinced him that it actually wasn't a teen comedy. It was actually an adult film, a dark adult comedy disguised as a teen film. So based on that, he made the film. And I think that's exactly right. It's a a dark comedy uh, that happens to take place in high school. Yes, I totally agree with that. And I don't know if you had this with this film, Al, but I had, I guess you can call it the Mandela effect. I completely like mixed up parts of this film. I couldn't remember. I was like, is this the film where Matthew Broderick like sleeps with Reese Witherspoon? And did you remember it that way? I think really all I remembered was, speaking of sex, was the scene where he's having sex with his wife and then he imagines Reese Witherspoon's, like, head on of his wife. Of course, that's the part you would remember. <laughs> of course. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? I feel like there's a lot of moments when I watch it, I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, some for some reason, like, certain parts did kind of etch themselves in my memory. And maybe because it's in the beginning. But her dropping all of the pieces of gum into that fishbowl, I started watching that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that part. But, yeah, there's just a few very distinct moments that kind of just like stick out there. Right. Did you ever run for class office, Courtney? I don't think so. No, I wasn't really into student government. Probably for some of the reasons <laughs> addressed in this movie. It was a popularity contest. Just didn't seem worth the effort. Gotcha. Gotcha. How about you, James? Did you ever run for class president or anything? I did. I ran twice. Um, well, I guess three times. Um, I, I ran in seventh grade for, I think, class representative. I did not win. 
Um, once in college, uh, I, I ran for treasurer of the uh, pre-med society, and I did win that. Ooh. And then in eighth grade, uh, and I still have a stump sticker from that <laughs> election. I had stump stickers with my slogan, just like uh, Tracy Flick made pins for her. My successful slogan was, for a year of fun and games, vote for James. <laughs> Wow. How long did it take you to come up with that? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I'd always known that James and Games rhymed. I ma- I'll tell you that I made my poster with my best friend, David Freed. And he was like a, a Tracy Flick that uh, he was very serious about student body government. But he and I, we, we made our posters together. And that was the only uh, poster that actually ever won for me. Wow. Would you vote for me with that slogan, Al? Well, maybe, but I feel like the obvious next question is, did you deliver? I mean, you won, so did you give people a year's worth of fun and games? You know what Lagba Omer is, Al? Yeah, of course. I don't know why, but in every Jewish school I know, that's like the day that you do like sports, and it takes place in May. We brought like a, a one-day like Olympics so you promised one year of fun and games, and you delivered one day of fun and games. Is, is that correct? Well, there was fun all year. It sounds like you kind of only delivered on one 365th of your campaign promise. Al, have you ever run for uh, student office? I was president of my key club. Were you elected president? I was elected president. I ran yeah. against another kid who was a really, really nice kid. And I felt really bad because I laughed at him in his campaign speech. He said that he would be the epitome of a good president. Like he meant to say epitome. Stop being facetious, Al. I know. But he said epitome, and then I kind of chuckled. And I don't think he would have won if he had pronounced that word right. I mean, there was only like 15 kids in the club, and I was friends with more of them than he was, I guess. But um, that was my elected office. So beyond just high school politics, apparently this movie has spoken to some um, actual famous political figures. So I'm just curious if you guys could figure out there is a political figure who said that this is his favorite political movie. I'm just going to say I know it because I read the IMDb trivia page, but I did not know it before that IMDb trivia page. I did not know that either. Right. It's President Obama, right? Yes, yes. And of course, because he's super cool and he likes all the good books, clearly all the good movies as well. <laughs> right. His like annual lists of movies and He never albums. steers me wrong on a good book. <laughs> no, no, no. He, he knows what he's talking about. You could also imagine Hillary Clinton loving this movie though, right? Oh, yeah. There's lots of uh, theories that it's kind of uh, channeling Hillary, young Hillary. Yeah, it definitely gave off some of those vibes. I feel like today, if uh, it was announced that Barack Obama thought that this was his favorite political film ever, the headline would be, Barack Obama's favorite film is about a teacher having sex with a student. Well, that would be the Tucker Carlson headline. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, so that, that is what I'm saying, the, the spun headline. But I do have to ask you, Al, it's my duty as your co-host of The Test of Time. Mm-hmm. This film has voiceovers where there's several different characters doing voiceover. What did you think of the voiceover here? Did it annoy you? Well, 
first off, Courtney asked me that while we were watching the movie. Yeah, I was like, uh oh, I Good forgot job, this Courtney. had so much voiceover. Do you hate this already? <laughs> yeah, and just to be clear, the thing that really, really annoys me about voiceover is when it's there just like in the beginning of a movie to give you exposition that you really don't need and then it disappears and never comes back or maybe just comes back at the very end of the movie. That's like the worst kind of voiceover. This movie's voiceover isn't that and they use it consistently throughout the movie and they use it for exposition that you do kind of need. Like, it gives you backstory about all of these characters, and the fact that it's multiple characters doing their own voiceover gives you their own different perspectives, which is cool and interesting and different. Most movies, when there's voiceover, it's one singular voice telling the story from their point of view. And I like the way that this movie kind of tells you different versions of the same story like tracy's affair with dave jim's friend you get that from her point of view and jim's point of view and i like that i think it works i think it does an effective job of building out this world and apparently that's what um the original novel is like too where it's you know coming from different points of view and i kind of like got that sense from the movie it felt kind of novel like Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I had to ask you guys, who do you think the big winner in this film is? Who would you say? Tammy. I was going to say yeah. Tammy. Yeah. I mean, she gets what she wants, right? Yeah. She maps it out. She's pretty um, methodical about how she <laughs> she gets her way. But yeah, she ends up right where she wants to be. Right. She wants to get kicked out of the school that she hates. She wants to go to the all-girls Catholic school. She does. She meets a new girlfriend there. She's happy. Like, she ends the movie, like, truly happy. In an unstressed way, because I guess you could look at Tracy, who gets what she wants, too. But I think the ups and downs around that were so stressful to her. Right, right, right. The Noahs are going with Tammy as the winner. Yeah, uh, Tammy, certainly uh, an option. But, you know, if you define winning as uh, you're better off after the movie than when you started it, certainly I'd say Tracy's probably the happiest uh, overall. But if you define it as the person who winds up ending up a lot better than he has any uh, right to, I would say that that's this guy, Dave. Holy shit, in a test of time lens, what this guy got away with? I I mean, he is uh, the friend of Jim's. He's uh, another high school teacher, and he is also well-liked. He runs the student clubs and stuff, and he crosses the line. He has an affair, first kisses and then sexual affair with Tracy. And what is his punishment? I mean, he's like humiliating the film. It's a brilliantly acted scene by Mark Harrelick. And he's hysterically crying when he's caught. And he's like, but we are in love. And it's so pathetic uh, of this guy. And he's such a loser. But his big punishment is he's a, a stock boy, you know, living with his mom. This guy today would be in jail for like, you know, 10 years or something. He goes up to her and like after like a school event and like puts his hand on her and is like, you know, you don't have many friends. I could be your friend. It's like, oh, it's so creepy. So how is he the winner? 
Yeah, I, no, I, I'm saying I'm not saying winner. I'm saying if you define winner as better off than he has any right to be, oh, this guy okay. should be in jail. I couldn't believe that this guy didn't get the comeuppance. And there's a like a passing line that uh, Jim says the guy's lucky he's not in jail. But today, this story would have gotten out somehow. Whether it was in divorce proceedings with Linda, this would have been gossip at the school, and the teachers would have talked about it and leaked it, and it would have been a big story. All of that is fair. The cynic in me wonders if if this shit does happen regularly and for every one or two teachers that you read about who do end up in jail, who are, you know, all over the news, there's another 10 that the story is buried because it's bad for the district and everyone just hides it and a guy just has to move out of town and doesn't go to jail and shit like that. I could see that happening. You know, just from like people cover the bad news so they don't look bad. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just being overly cynical. Maybe you're right and it would have gotten out somehow. But I don't know. You make a very good point. He very well could have gotten away with this today. And, you know, the school doesn't want the lawsuit and and everything else. And there's a passing headline where you see that Tracy Flick is going to sue the district because of the outcome of this election. They probably read her correctly, knowing this mom works for the most powerful law firm in Omaha. Right, right. Going back to Dave, I think the interesting thing about his character is that in the end, he's right about Tracy that she will be alone. She is an overachiever, and because she's so focused and ambitious, she will be lonely. Like, that's what he says in their first quote-unquote date or whatever, and he's right. Like, at the end of the movie, she ends up at Georgetown, and she's happy that's where she wants to be, but she's still alone. She's still isolated. So I think he did call it correctly when it comes to her, unfortunately. Yeah, but I think that's her personality. She can't let anyone be close if she needs to be number one. You know, let, let's go, you know, basically to the, the election. It's a three-way uh, election. Uh, Tracy, at first she's running unopposed, but uh, Jim, who really doesn't like her, he decides to get a really popular guy, uh, Chris Klein, and as a surprise, his sister also winds up uh, running. And she has this great speech where everyone's kind of like booing her. It's implied she's kind of a loser at school. And she gives this great speech where she's like, who gives a fuck about this stupid student council? I'm just going to abolish it and don't vote for me. I don't care. And of course, the student body loves it. So the thing about Tammy is that Tammy is right about student elections, about the fact that they don't matter for anyone except for the person who wins. And that is depressingly true. And it's top of mind for me now because we're close to the midterm elections and I'm just constantly reading things about if Democrats want to win, they need to engage young voters and these young voters care about the right to choose and they care about democracy and they care about all these things, but they don't always vote. And I'm like, yeah, because their first exposure to democracy is these bullshit student body elections where Tammy's right. It doesn't matter. You know, it matters if you win and you can put it on your college transcript. But for kids who love high school because they're like Chris Klein's character and they're the jock, they love high school. If you hate high school because you're bullied or you're an outcast or whatever, like whoever is the 
president, it doesn't fucking matter. You know, it doesn't matter to you. And I think the things that even if you win and you get your position, what is it that you really have influence over? You have influence over a year of fun and games. (laughs) If your name is James. If your name is James. That is correct. Uh, It's not like you're really influencing change in the school in a demonstrable way right you know maybe you're you pick the the, the the weird themes that we have for spirit week or the theme of the school dance i guess right i, I don't know what else they, they pick but it's not anything really influential that i think would make an impact on your student experience and it's not the kind of thing you'd throw your career away for, which is ultimately what Jim does. Uh, this election winds up going down, uh, as one character calls it, I mentioned before, a squeaker. I love the cast of these little supporting characters here, these guys that carry this uh, chest with the lock as if they are carrying uh, the ancient Egyptian artifacts through the Louvre. Like, they are carrying it so <laughs> carefully. You know, he doesn't have the key for the lock, so he just kind of takes a pen knife and opens it. They're kind of horrified at that and they're horrified that he even wants to do an independent count but the point is Tracy legitimately wins by one vote which is kind of funny because Chris Klein's character Paul he winds up not voting for himself and he votes for Tracy there were more disregarded votes that obviously means they voted for the disqualified candidate and that was Tammy and she actually had more votes than either uh, Paul or Tracy so had she not been expelled she would have won student body president. And if uh, Paul had voted for himself, then he would have won. But as it were, Tracy legitimately wins. And that's what the official count by the uh, by the election group, that's what they had. And now Jim, you know, he has to make his own independent count. I mean, I kind of feel like you can't see that and then not think of the big lie, right? Like, this is election fraud. This is the shit that like people are all up in arms about because they think that the 2020 election was stolen. And obviously this wasn't a thought in 1999 when this Maybe movie was this made. planted the seed. <laughs> <laughs> that's where it's Trump got movie. it from. Right. He watched election. He's like, oh, well, I'll just say that that's what people did and uh, people will believe it. Maybe. But like election fraud is not a problem. It's just a a boogeyman by the Republican Party. But in this movie, it's real. This was a pretty official election for a high school vote. Like, did either of you pick up on the fact that they had people checking in the voters and you had to go behind a little, like, the little voting screen? I think they just passed around the ballots in homeroom and, like, your homeroom teacher took it. I think that's what happened. Yeah, I think so. There was no, like check off your name that you voted so you can only vote once kind of uh, official process. Right. That's how they do like regular elections. Yeah. Oh, hell no. Shout out to Karstown South High School. They were a little bit older than the ones you used, but we had real voting machines with like a lever that you pulled and the curtain closed. Really? Yeah, we, actually, yeah, we really <laughs> had. They were like, we knew that they were older because like if you went with your parents to vote ever, like those were slightly newer. For a student election? <laughs> Really? Yeah, just to like give you practice. Wow. I was trying to think at Cornell, what did we have there? To vote? You went in and there was some type of ballot. So it was like semi-official, but there was no voting machines. I don't remember. Because you never voted. I voted. Look at you. You voted I- at Cornell? 
For like the national student, elections? No, for student government. Oh, no, it's <laughs> student for student government. I absolutely voted for government at, at Cornell. You would go to Willard Strait Hall. Exactly. And you yes. fill, uh, absolutely, you fill out a ballot. There was no voting machines, right? They were just paper ballots. No, no, no. The private Cornell billions endowment, that was much more low tech than my public high school. That's funny. The idea of like stealing an election, I think, is just a joke in this movie and was kind of a joke in 1999. But then to your point, James, like in 2000, that was such like a hotly contested election. Gore Bush in Florida, a couple hundred votes. And now you have the big lie and people think that elections are stolen all the time. Like, I feel like that part of this movie has changed a lot just because of the world we live in. But Jim ultimately does get caught for throwing the votes away because in the very beginning of the movie, he's like cleaning out the refrigerator and he throws food on the floor and the janitor sees it and is mad. And so at the end of the movie, when he throws out the votes, the janitor finds them. And I didn't really remember that. But watching the movie last night when the janitor like looked at him after he threw the food on the floor. I'm like, oh, that janitor, he's going to come back later. That look is meaningful. And apparently that guy is not an actor. He was just a guy who worked at the school that they filmed in in Omaha. He was just a janitor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, he had the uniform and he had a great glare and that was all he needed. Oh, it was like a growl. That look of disdain when he dropped that Chinese food on the floor. And you know, like, he probably just put it back and there was a brown stain on the floor that this guy would have to clean up later. That's the, pretty much the same look I give you whenever you make a smoothie and get stuff all over the counter. <laughs> That's true. But you know what? Like, I clean up after myself. After I make a mess, when I make my smoothies. Do you? Well. <laughs> you clean up in your Allen way. You mean thoroughly and very well. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Um, there is an alternate ending for this movie, which I watched on YouTube today. And apparently this ending more closely resembles the ending of the book. But basically, Jim ends up at a car dealership in Omaha. And then Tracy goes and confronts him and is like, why did you do what you did? And he apologizes. And then he signs her yearbook. And it's very sweet. And apparently test audiences hated it. Like, it's not god-awful, but it really doesn't fit with the rest of the movie, which is this dark comedy, and you kind of don't want everything tied up neatly with a bow where, I'm sorry, golly gee, that's okay, we're still friends, yeah we are, everything's going to be great. You know, like, it, it doesn't really fit with the tone of the movie. I think this ending was much more appropriate. I think the ending of every character was uh, as expected except for Jim. I was actually pleasantly surprised. It's not like they gave him like a happy ending, but, you know, he falls completely from grace. Uh, you know, he was a beloved teacher. Now he lives in what they call as a pathetic 1550 a month uh, apartment in Manhattan. So that doesn't hold up. But right. um, at the end, he's dating. And I like the casting of this woman that you only see for a second. She's not pretty she's not ugly she's just very like okay he's dating somebody like from the museum i thought she was prettier than his wife though honestly <laughs> i was like oh he upgraded a little bit whoa you should be like more supportive towards women and not judge them based on their physical appearance courtney how does the new girlfriend rank against linda though uh better than her too okay so the ranking is new girlfriend linda the wife Yes. <laughs> That's Courtney's ranking. Uh, 
I don't know. Linda may be the bottom. There's something about her face that really irks me. From that scene that you love so much that I <laughs> think is horrible. Oh, what? The, the heads on the... Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say I love the scene. I just said I remembered it. Okay. Um, You know, I also kind of feel a little bit bad for Paul at the end of the movie where he kind of gets what he wants and he goes to college, but he's still kind of alone and sad and he just doesn't understand what happened to him. I know you said you don't think he is super dumb. Maybe dumb is the wrong word, but maybe he's just like innocent and he just doesn't like get it. Like he just doesn't understand why his girlfriend broke up with him. Like what gives? Not like in like an angry, like, why'd you leave me kind of a way, but just like, I thought everything was great. What happened? His like, whatever happened to him, he basically talks about this awesome graduation party that he had at his dad's cement factory. He talks like a significant amount of his final voiceover about that. And I I love it. Like, that's the big thing. You know he does fine because his dad owns a cement factory in Omaha. Like, he's going to get that someday. The world's always going to need cement. That is right. But what the world really needs to know is if Courtney, Alan, and James thought that this film stands the test of time. Let's start with Courtney, our guest, as we always do. Does this film stand the test of time? I mean, this is a pretty easy, clear-cut answer for me. I would say yes, definitely. I mean, just from all the discussion we're having about how it relates to the current day political situation, how you can see tie-ins there, how people judge females who want to get ahead and you know the perception about how they do that or how they go about it yeah definitely and i think it's just one of those movies you could pull out anytime and it would be enjoyable there's things that date it but not dated in a way that makes it unrelatable right james what do you think yeah there are characters that you can just have a, a visceral reaction to tracy flick I really, really hate this character. She isn't an amalgamation of people in my life that just, they won. They got everything. Yes, fine. Maybe in the end she's uh, lonely at night. But a lot of the Disney films, the good-looking popular kid at the end, like, they get their comeuppance and everyone wants to go to prom with the nerd. That's not what happens usually. Usually Tracy Flicks win. I mean, true, they don't win everything at life and they have no friends. But I just knew people like this that would just do anything for something so stupid. Stupid, like winning a student council election, the things these people would do at all costs for their college transcript. I I mean, I knew these people. I just hated them. I also hated the fact that she won the election in the end. But the thing is, it's very true. That's what a film is supposed to do. It, It elicits these emotions and... It elicits such cringe at other points that they, these mistakes that these people make. Some mistakes are mistakes that, uh, you know, a Dave mistake that one would never cross the line. And then there's these gym things that, you know, I've never been in that situation. But could I make a, a mistake that could ruin my whole life? And it's such a small little kind of nothing. But yeah, it's bad. But uh, it's really fascinating to think about. And you've mentioned this, Al. Uh, one of the things you've said about films that really... Uh, you like is something that the next day you're thinking about it and all day I was really thinking about just the characters in this film and how real they were and what I really thought what happens to them and who got what they deserved who kind of maybe uh, I wish they got a little worse or better than what they got 
the film is just really well done. Alexander Payne did a great job. I hate this character, but that doesn't mean I hate the film. Do I need to watch it again? No, because it's going to get me angry at her character again. Don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm incredibly angry at the other characters, but I don't know people like that in my real life. But I knew Tracy Flicks definitely in high school and college to a less extent. This film spoke true to me in that regard. So I really liked it and stands the test of time. Uh, what do you think, Al? I mean, I kind of want to unpack why you hate Tracy Flick so much, James. I feel like this is like a psychological thing that we can really do a deep dive into. That's very simple. She was just this girl that was willing to do anything. Uh, the fact that when Tammy confesses to this uh, crime, she doesn't have the decency to even go to Tammy and like you know thank her or whatever, or even find out how the hell did she get this. She will do anything she needs to to win. I don't think she's evil. I'm just saying that she reminds me of people that I really, really uh, hated that would step over people. I do not hate her for the reason that Jim hated her. What Dave did to her, um, he's a total scumbag, and it was not her fault that no one knew about it. That probably helps her. And I think Jim's right. Like He knows what's going to happen to her. She's going to be very successful in life. I mean, successful in the superficial way. That is why I hated her. I think you're supposed to hate that character like that. That's what I think. I don't think I hated Tracy Flick. I think that she is a person who works really hard and knows what she wants and is really driven. And I didn't hate her. Did you hate Tracy Flick, Courtney? Uh, I think the character flaw that James mentioned about her destroying the signs and then not taking any ownership of it. And actually, she kind of goes after Tammy. She goes all in on Tammy's um, confession. Right. She's like, you owe me money for the sign that you ripped down or something. Yeah, when she knows. (laughs) That she ripped it down herself. That, I think, was a clever line by her to kind of confirm that she's the victim here. But something that elicited my first hatred of her, they show that she's in like 17 different clubs in the yearbook. Like, come on, those people in high school that were in every club, they're just doing it, writing it on their college transcript. They didn't care about it. But I do think she did care because she was there on the weekends, right, clipping things out. So, I mean, she was, she showed commitment probably beyond just like what you're saying. I think in most cases, it's true. People just signed up for a bunch of clubs and used it to get on their transcripts. I don't think she was like that. I do think she was dedicated. But I think she lacks self-awareness about how she comes across to others. And it probably goes back to that whole loneliness thing. So I feel like in some ways that doesn't make me hate her, but it just doesn't make me love her either. She's also not a nice person. There's a reason she has no friends. I will say in my high school, our valedictorian who, you know, I had some competition with her. I was like top of our class. She was like an all-star soccer player. Maybe she was vice president if she wasn't president. Then she was valedictorian. (laughs) But she was the nicest person. And it was like uh, all those like perfect things that she had around her. But she was one of those rare people that you're like, you just can't dislike her even if you want to because you're like, oh, she seems so perfect. But she was just like such a decent, nice person. (laughs) Right, right. Watching the movie this time, I didn't hate Tracy Flick. I hated Jim more. I thought he was more of the villain. But that said, I appreciate the fact that all of the characters are good and bad. And because of the voiceover and the different perspectives, you get to see how 
they look at themselves and how others see them. So they all have their flaws, and that's fine. Um, overall, I agree that this movie definitely stands the test of time. It's really enjoyable. It's really funny. It's about high school, but also not really. It's about people who are miserable and sad and depressed. And Jim is miserable and Dave is miserable. And you feel like this ennui and this dissatisfaction with their lives in suburban Nebraska and It all just feels really real, and I like that. In terms of standing the test of time, I laughed at uh, Jim's car with the seatbelt thing that kind of like moves around. Such a 90s thing. Yeah, that's such a funny thing that like that was the en vogue feature to get in your car. I thought his car was a Geo Metro, and I looked it up. Apparently, it was a Ford Festiva. But whatever. It was just like a funny, tiny little boxy car that he's driving around in. But overall, I found this movie to be really entertaining, really enjoyable. And I think it definitely stands the test of time. We are three for three, guys. We win the election. Way to go. It's not a squeaker of an election. There's no ballots in the trash. It's a unanimous victory. Unless Jim counts it and he counts that the three of us didn't like this film. Why would he do that? Because he has a reputation for not accurately counting votes. That's true. But Courtney, thank you for coming back and joining us again. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Maybe you'll come back again for Sideways or something else, whatever. Yeah, I wouldn't mind Sideways. It's been a while since I watched it. We'll see if it stands the test of time. Indeed. We'll get some wine. We'll have a good time. Have you ever seen Sideways, James? Oh, yeah. Okay. But that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we have another movie starring Matthew Broderick and another special guest with the last name of Noah. Our son Eli is coming on the podcast to talk about war games. I have no idea why he wants to talk about war games, but he does. He's been asking, and, you know, he's my kid. So as a father, I have to say yes. It's actually the first film in our hacking trilogy. We're going to be doing an 80s hacking film, War Games, a 90s hacking film, Hackers, and a 2000s hacking film, Swordfish. Oh, I thought that was a fishing movie. No. Actually, the original name, or sometimes it's called Codename Swordfish. Right. I know it's not about fishing, but that'll be a good time. Of course, talk to us. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Let us know your thoughts about election. And you know, you can vote for this podcast by leaving us five stars on Apple Podcasts. That's not really voting. That's rating. That's a different thing, but you can do it anyway. You can vote us the best podcast ever. Where? At the potties. <laughs> that sounds like potties. Like with teas. Well, we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye. Bye.